what to do next. <laughs> you know, once you've recognized that God is asking you to move to a country setting, if God is calling you like he called Abraham and called many of his people to a country setting, what do we do practically? How do we move forward? Well, I enjoy being able to talk about some of the practical aspects of making the move. I am a real estate broker, although I'm not actively engaged in real estate presently. But it's been a great blessing to be able to know some of the practical sides of real estate transactions and what's involved in looking for property. And many times people just don't know some of the things that are involved. So we're, we're going to talk about a few of the more practical sides of this. But the most important thing that we learned in our experience, once we recognize what God was asking us to do, is what are we going to do right where we are now? Not waiting. Begin applying every principle that you are aware of. Prioritize the importance of those principles. Gospel order deals with first man and God, or woman and God, then the marriage relationship, then the parenting relationship to children, then the wider sphere of the church, and the widening sphere of the community and beyond. You see, many times we want new light or we get excited about some new idea when God wants us to deal with what we already know. To really go back and deal with some of the basic principles that can then prepare us to launch into new ideas and new areas of life. Do what lies nearest. That's something that the Lord began to bring to us before we moved out. During the 10 months that we were waiting upon the Lord, He began to put it in our minds to do the work that lies nearest. Dealing with my own heart as a father, as a husband, prioritizing my home responsibilities. You know, fathers, that in the final judgment, we'll really be the ones that God will ask the question, where is the flock that I've given you, that beautiful flock? Is our home the priority that God would have it to be? Prioritizing our responsibilities to our children. And then again, as we move from the, the home sphere, prioritizing the responsibilities in the church, our work in the community and so forth. We need to be developing between the time that we recognize the call from the Lord, and, and I know many people right now, even as I speak, as we've been in various places, even over in Germany, talking with people that the Lord was impressing upon them the need to get out of the setting that they were in into a more quiet and, and retired location. Between the time that that conviction becomes cl clearer and clearer and the time that we actually make a move, we should be considering how we build a spiritual nest egg and a physical nest egg. I know we've heard about the physical nest egg, but there's a spiritual one that needs to be built at the same time. Spiritually simplifying our lives. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I used to study all kinds of things. I had a particular interest in studying end time events. And I, I spent a lot of time studying end time events, studying prophecies, and those are important things. But God showed me that I needed to start uh, spiritually simplifying and practicalizing my, my life with God. I needed to start looking at, and this is the way the Lord brought it to me. You know, thy word, he says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the Lord came to help me recognize that there is there is a path out there and I was way out getting light on the path that's way out in front of me. The one about end time events and the one about prophecy being fulfilled out there. And the Lord helped me realize that I had lots of light out there, but guess where I was stumbling? Right here, next step I was taking. 
wasn't much light shining on that part of my path. There was lots of light out here about end time events and I could talk very well about that, but I was floundering and stumbling in the present daily walk because his word was not shedding light on my present path, dealing with my own irritations, my own selfishness, dealing with my relationship in my family. And as I began to recognize that, I started focusing my study in three areas. How to deal with my personal walk with God as an individual in dealing with self and the selfishness of the carnal heart. And then how to deal with life as a husband to the woman that God had given me to walk by my side. And thirdly, how to become the father that God was calling me to be. That's where my study began to go. And that's what I'm talking about in simplifying spiritually. Just like we simplify physically when we don't need 2,400 square feet, when we can simplify it down to a smaller home with less things, less things to maintain, we're simplifying physically. We can simplify spiritually as well. So I would just encourage you to consider where is your time going and what practical benefit is your study giving to you in walking in your present path and having light shining on that path. When God began to show us simplifying physically, it was taking inventory of all the things that we had, how we were using them, how much money we were spending to maintain them, and we took our two vehicles that we used in our suburban setting, we sold those, helped clear debts, and bought a super cab pickup, an old one, eight years old, and that simplified all of those areas in our lives. It simplified our maintenance of our vehicles. It got us a vehicle that would be preparing us for the area we we're moving into. So learn to simplify for where you are presently and where you in anticipate going down the road as God begins to reveal it. My wife bought me a chainsaw and we were just recently in the shop where she bought that. 17, now, yeah, 17 years ago, she bought this chainsaw. And I've never had a problem with it. I've never had to take it in for servicing. It was a real nice chainsaw. And I told the owner of the chainsaw shop that my wife had bought this for me when we moved to Montana. And it was a good investment. <laughs> I've cut a lot of trees down over the years with that chainsaw. But you see, it was taking the things physically and bringing them in line with the lifestyle that we were moving into. What about selling your home? If you have a home to sell, the question some people ask, is it better to sell it by myself, by owner, or is it better to get a realtor? Well, we started out by ourselves and ended up going to a realtor. <laughs> there are some pitfalls that you can run into trying to sell your home by yourself. Uh, there are people that actually specialize in home robberies and by owner robberies. Okay? They come in, they, they case your house as you walk them through it. They find out how your doors work and your windows and all these kind of things. And then they steal the stuff out of your house when you're gone. I mean, most people wouldn't even think of that. There are liabilities. They call you instead of calling the realtor and they want to come over now. You get a lot of harassment calls. You get people dialing your phone number that you don't, that aren't even interested in your house. You get a lot of people who just are curious because they've lived next door to you for five years and they want to see what your house looks like and they want to know how much you're asking for it. Curiosity. So these are things to weigh and to pray about. We tried it on our own and decided after a short time that we'd turn it over to a real estate broker. <laughs> That that's, we, we figured out that they earn their money. They really do. What we did is we asked for three separate companies to come in. If you're looking at selling a property, three separate brokers to come in from different companies and do property evaluations and give you a market analysis. And then you can take those numbers and you can work with what you believe the Lord is asking you to get with your price and your market. You can work with single-party listings. 
where you say, well, you know, I really still want to try to sell it myself, but um, sometimes a broker will come by and say, look, if I have the right person, can I work with you? And you can say, yes, uh, that's fine. If you're willing to, to do what you need to do, I'll work with you on a one-time basis, a single-party listing. You can sign that agreement, and they'll bring you a buyer and sell your property. It will cost you less because they've done less work, they've done less advertising, a single-party listing. We have what we call the perfect ten. As we sat down together looking at the things we wanted to have in our property, in our location, we were looking at the ideals. Now, these are just ten things that we felt were important to us. It doesn't mean that they're going to be important to everyone else, but I want to go over those briefly with you. In Isaiah 32, 17 and 18, it says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Doesn't that sound nice? We used to live in Hinsdale, two blocks from the main artery, going into the, the commuter into Chicago. A lot of trains went back and forth. You could feel them and you could hear them. We lived in a corridor of the O'Hare International Airport, a flight uh, approach corridor. We lived on one of the main roads that brought the ambulances into the hospital emergency room. We were about one and a half miles from the hospital. We lived one block from a four-lane Highway 83. Does that sound like a quiet and peaceable habitation? <laughs> I must tell you that we, we never heard any of that stuff after a while. Does that mean that we went deaf? No, it means that our mind just said, that's not important information anymore, and it's called habituation. You get used to it. But does it have an effect on the mind? Absolutely. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of who? God. That's where our sufficiency comes from, friends. We have to recognize that no matter how good life is for us, or no matter how well we're doing in life, that our sufficiency is still in God. And if we recognize that, we're, we're in a much better position to rely upon God and have faith in Him. So I want to go over these things, not because they become our sufficiency, not because they must have all of the, we must have all of these in order to say, this is where we'll move, but these are just shall I say, guidelines. Water. How long can you live without water? <laughs> Not very long. It's nice if you can have what we call live water, a live, bubbling, babbling spring that comes out of the earth. That's wonderful. It's even nicer if that can flow by gravity down to your property and you don't have to have any pumps or pressure tanks. We're very fortunate that the spring that we have is 160 feet above us in elevation. And as a result, it runs a hydroelectric system in our home, for our home, for power, and it provides us all of our domestic water without any pressure tank or pumps. That's a blessing. So we don't have to hook up to the regular grid power, and we don't have to have pumps to, to run those things. But it's not a necessity, it's a blessing. Someone asked me, Earlier, you know, are there springs like that still around? Unfortunately, people go after those kind of springs, don't they? <laughs> and they're some of the first things that go. And uh, so you won't always be able to find a nice mountain spring, and it won't always be a gravity flow spring. Maybe there's just a nice little creek running through the property. Uh, maybe you're living on some footage by the river. Open water is very nice, but it's not an absolute necessity. But water is a necessity. Sometimes people have to drill wells. My, my father, where he's actually having a, a little home built, and uh, we had to drill a well there. That was going to be the source of water. The Lord blessed, and we were able to hit a, a nice aquifer of water running under the ground, and he's got over 20 gallons a minute but he has to have a pump to pump that, right? That's okay. It's still water. 
And so one of those practical things to consider is what will run the pump? Okay? If the power goes out, how does he get his water? Well, he has a little backup generator that will run the pump if the power goes out. So you've got to have something to run the generator. So he has a propane tank that can uh, run his propane furnace and run his generator if he needs it for backup power. These are things to be prudent. These are not things to become a survivalist. It's just thinking ahead. And many people you know, that come out of a city environment don't think of these things. And so we're just talking about some of these practically. Soil. That became very important to us. Where we live, we have about one to one and a half inches of topsoil. Now, where you live here, that sounds kind of foreign, doesn't it? Because <laughs> you probably have deep topsoil, or at least some places around here, very beautiful uh, topsoil that may be very rich and deep. Well, that was one of the considerations that we had, and it was one of the areas we didn't do so well in in our list of ten things. So we had to bring some dump truck loads of good soil in. And we were fortunate. The timing was right. And, and someone down the road about uh, two and a half miles was dredging out an old pond that had been there for about 30 years. And they brought that to us. The dump truck brought several loads of that. And so our soil was brought in and we built grow beds to contain the soil. So look at the soil. Consider the soil for, for how well you can grow things. You know, one of the blessings of country living is being able to grow things. Do you know that it's very difficult today to find good nutrition, even in the grocery store? Now, this isn't something that we make a big issue out of, but it is a reality. It's harder and harder to find things, even though they can look good on the shelf. They aren't necessarily as nutritious as you might think when you do an analysis of their content of nutrition. So the soil. We have to grow uh, tomatoes in a greenhouse. We tried growing tomatoes outside in our Montana weather and even on a nice 85 degree day when it, we go to bed it cools right down and the tomatoes don't like that outside. So we have a, a little greenhouse that we grow our tomatoes in. So if you can't find rich soil don't rule out the property but consider the property and what you'll have to do to make it growable. Timber. It's nice to have some trees on your property, okay? The time will come. We live in a place where uh, one of our desires was to live in an area where there was a lot of national forest because for us, the national forest not only provides some protection from multiple neighbors, but it also provides timber for burning. We cook on a wood cook stove. It heats our hot water. And uh, yes, we have a backup propane stove that we use occasionally, but for 15 years we just cooked on a wood cook stove. That sounds very primitive, doesn't it? Our cook stove is a primitive one too. It was pre-1920, but it was a real blessing and it cooks the food really nicely and it heats the hot water really nicely and we, we heat our home with wood. And so if you are desirous of heating your home with wood, then you need to have some wood. We get it from the National Forest, but someday the National Forest won't give it to us anymore. Do you realize that? Someday there's going to be restrictions that our government is going to put upon us, and it's not going to be easy to get that timber. So we save the timber on our property. We have a little over six acres, and we save that for the times just to us. It's like having money in the bank. <laughs> when the timber out there in the Forest Service isn't accessible to us, then we'll begin to use the, the wood that's on our land. Wood that can be used for those that would have a regular conventional system. It's nice to have at least a backup system in your home where you can, if your power goes out or you're in a situation where you no longer can get your propane, if you have a propane stove, that you have some wood that you can still keep warm. At least in the areas where we live, you need to stay warm a certain number of months a year. <laughs> The climate. What's the growing season like? That was another area we compromised in. You know, at first we were looking down in the Tennessee area. My wife was familiar with Tennessee and she liked that area. But 
We didn't like some of the things in that area as we evaluated the pros and cons. We didn't like the bugs. We didn't like the humidity. We didn't like the, you know, there were, there were certain things that we didn't like and we loved the growing season down there. Our growing season is three months, basically. It's not very long, is it? Especially for you folks, you get, uh, what kind of a growing season do you get around here? Okay, it's quite a bit longer. <laughs> Eight months. Well, consider the growing season, okay? You see, the emphasis here is not, and that's why I read this verse, it's not that we're sufficient of ourselves, but God expects us to be thinking about how we can cooperate. And it's nice to be able to look for these things where we can grow things uh, without having to buy everything in a store. Look at the precipitation, the humidity. How much sunshine do you get? Do you like sunshine? <laughs> I think everybody likes sunshine, right? I know my wife really loves sunshine, and her body just responds to sunshine, just like a sunflower. And so what's the sunshine like? We don't get as much sunshine in Montana as we used to. When we moved there, the winters were just full of sunny, bright, cold days. Now the winters, we can go through the month of November and maybe see one day where the sun shines. So what's the climate like? The precipitation, the wind, the air. You ever thought about your air quality? It's very important. <laughs> it's very important. What is the air quality of the, of the place that you're considering? Are there inversions? There's an area about 80 miles from us that is... Tenth in the nation for the worst air pollution in the United States. And it's 80 miles from where we live. Has the number 10 on the list of, of uh, which includes Los Angeles, that list. <laughs> number 10. And it's in Montana. Why? It's because it's down in an inversion in the valley where the mountains come up around it. And it doesn't allow for things to escape. And therefore the air quality gets very poor. So these are questions to find out as you're doing your investigation. How accessible do you want to be? Well, we compromised a little bit there as well. We have a forest service road that goes in front of us and it's not a very busy road, but we knew that we were losing some of our privacy. And it's the one thing that over the years we've said, oh, if we could just have more privacy. Because when people drive by on that forest service road, our house is right there, you know, 100 feet away. And even though not very many people use the road, that was a compromise for us. But it was okay. It was a trade-off. We evaluated it. We have some friends that they live way back in. And when I go back in there to visit them, I say, I'm glad I don't live back here. <laughs> because you just get beat up driving the road back to their place. And... You have to drive really slow over these holes and, you know, potholes. And so decide if you can get remoteness and you can get privacy, but you can still get accessibility. Decide how accessible you want to be. Nature. Oh, how we love the nature. We have all kinds of nature around us. And one of the things in nature that we enjoy the most in Montana is the quietness of nature. That's one of the things when people come to visit us, they notice the quietness, especially if they go out at night and they just stand outside and listen. It is so quiet. Have you ever heard the quietness before? You know what it's like to hear snowflakes falling on your coat? Never experienced that till I was in Montana. Never knew the sound of snowflakes hitting my coat. Never realized the sound of a bird flying over and the of the wings. Just of a regular bird flying over. Did you know they made those kind of sounds? It's beautiful. In the quietness, the holy ministries of nature. Consider what's around you when you're looking for property. Consider, will the location be built up very shortly? We talked to one family recently and they were just about ready to sign papers. And the wife had the thought, let's go to the zoning department and find out what's in their long-range plans. Beautiful 
area up in Northern California or, or North Central California. Beautiful, wide open area. Just a lovely setting, good views. They found out that within the next five years, they were planning to put in thousands of homes that had already been approved in that valley. And they went back up there recently through that area, and there were homes everywhere. Oh, how thankful she was that the Lord impressed her to consider the development of the location. So that's something that someone might not even think about. Consider the relationship of national forests around it. One of our requirements was that we wanted national forests to take up the majority of the land space. In the area that we live, in Eureka, Montana, the county we live in, 11% of the property is owned by private ownership. The rest is owned by the U.S. Forest Service and by state lands, not areas that are developed. So consider that. Consider how the land lays. When you're looking at building a house, for example, how do you want it to be exposed? How will the sun be through the windows if you like lots of windows? Will the sun be beating in on you in the summertime? Have you positioned it so that when the sun crosses over in the summer, it's in a position not to cook you? And when it passes over in the winter, it can offer you passive solar? What are the mosquitoes like? Now, <laughs> you like mosquitoes? Well, <laughs> consider the mosquitoes. We don't like mosquitoes. And where we live, we can go out any day of the summer and sit on our pond deck and not be worried about mosquitoes biting us. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't ever see a mosquito. But we can sit comfortably, have a picnic, and not be bothered by mosquitoes. We don't like mosquitoes, especially my wife. They just... If there's mosquitoes and we're together, they always go to her first. <laughs> so she has something that attracts them, I guess. So you have to consider your location to power. If you're going to have conventional power, when we moved into our uh, piece of land and as we began to develop it, we knew ahead of time that we would not have conventional power because we had this beautiful mountain spring that was 160 feet in elevation and we knew we could use that for generating power and we didn't need to be hooked up to the grid. But if you do, have you considered it? Call the power company and look at what it will cost to bring that power in. What about phone service? Phones can be a blessing. They can be a curse, right? <laughs> but how will you run the phone or how far do you have to run the phone? For us, the next area that was important was government involvement in our lives. Now, we're not anti-government by any means, but we, we like to be not like some places where the government is into everything. We have friends that live in Washington and live in California, and those places are so heavily regulated, it's incredible. I mean, you can't go out and build a garage on your property. There, there's no way. They won't let you do it. And, if they do, they tell you exactly how big it'll be and when you can build it and how you'll build it. And we didn't want that kind of regulation. And we were very interested in homeschooling our children. And at that time, when we were moving back in 1986, we were looking for a state that would offer the best homeschooling regulations. And Montana had the best homeschooling laws in the nation when we moved. Now everybody can homeschool, basically, all over the United States. Look at the taxes. Taxes uh, may not seem that important, depending on where you come from. If you were living in California now and you came to where I live, you'd say, wow, you don't pay many taxes, do you? But if you came from some other place, I don't know what your tax base is here, but I believe it's less than it is in Montana, you'd think we were paying very high taxes. So look at the tax base. Look at what you're going to be um, paying in taxes. Consider what kind of government regulations there will be on building. Will they only allow you to build a certain kind of home in this location? And then employment. It's very obvious, but don't overlook it. Can I make a living here? 
If I love everything else about it, can I make a living? Well, that's another area we had to deal with because I was the director of the School of Radiography at Hinsdale Hospital and all the places we were checking didn't have any need for anything like that. <laughs> didn't have a school like that. Didn't have a hospital big enough for a school like that. And so I had to decide whether or not I was going to stick to that or look for another line of employment. And my wife always laughs, but I was prepared to do worm farming. What do you think about that? Worm farming. Because I wanted to get away from what we were getting away from. And I was willing to do that if necessary. And I'm glad we didn't have to do that. But I was willing. And you know, that attitude made a big difference. And for my wife... She was willing to live in a tent. Did you know that? She told me she was willing to live in a tent with one condition. That that would mean she would have more time with her husband. More time for the family. Well, we didn't have to end up living in a tent, but we lived in a little fifth-wheel trailer with the five of us, and we got to know who we weren't. <laughs> You know, we often think we know who we are. And after people tell you that you're pretty good, and my wife used to get a lot of pats on the back, you know, in, in intensive care, and I used to get a lot of pats on the back in church and personal ministries. When we got tucked into that little 35-foot trailer with the five of us, and we lived there for nearly nine months, I found out who I wasn't. And oh, what a blessing. Didn't always feel like a blessing. But to find out who God really wanted us to be and that it was only through Him that we were going to become that, it was a blessing that God allowed us that, that time together. Zoning restrictions. I want to talk specifically about some things that often get overlooked in the area of real estate. Zoning restrictions. Can the land be subdivided? I have known people personally who have gotten mixed up in this area. First of all, they, they got mixed up on the one side because they thought they could do what they wanted to with the property and they could bring grandma and grandpa there and they could build them a little guest cabin and they found out too late that they couldn't do it. Now that's the one side. The other side is they, they bought this nice little piece of property and they didn't know it, but that nice little piece of property before they ever got on it was zoned for a subdivision. And that nice little property, you know what happened to it? Nice little quiet property turned into 15 other little homes all squatted together there. And the subdivided, the, the, the one that subdivided, he was doing real good because he made a lot of money off of that nice piece of property when he broke it up into all these pieces. You need to know the zoning laws. Covenants. You need to know what the covenants of the property are. What can you do and what can you not do? What will you get in trouble for doing? Can you actually park a mobile home on it while you're building your house? Don't assume it because the covenants may restrict you from doing it. Can you burn your trash in the barrel like you did at the other house you lived in out in the country or wherever you lived? Maybe, maybe not. What are the covenants of what can and can be done, cannot be done? Can you paint your house green? <laughs> Some places you can't. Find out what the covenants are. Mineral rights. What are you buying when you buy a piece of property? In Montana... When you buy a piece of real estate, you buy the surface of the ground. And if there's water running through your property, you don't own it. It just goes through your property. The state owns the water. And somebody else probably owns the minerals underneath your property. So find out what are the mineral rights. Don't assume that when you bought this piece of land, you bought it 100 feet deep. <laughs> because that may not be yours. Somebody else may have the mining rights to it. And I know of people that had that happen. 
and they came in and they mined those people's property. You know what's even worse? Is to have somebody come in and mine your property and you don't get a penny of the profits? Isn't that an insult? So find out about the mineral rights. Find out about the oil well rights. The surface minerals. Get a warranty deed. Now, in some states, it may be called something different, but in Montana, a warranty deed warrants the property. It says this property, this title, this piece of property, this is the highest ownership that you can have in property ownership. It's a warranty deed. It's a clear and sure title. Is there a survey? If there isn't a survey, then go to the county clerk and recorder's office in the county where the property is and see the maps and look at how the maps show this piece of property and the ownership around it, the zoning, and all those things. If there's a survey, get a survey, get a copy of the survey. Title insurance. Some people didn't know that they needed title insurance. When I would sell people property, they were always assured of getting title insurance. You have car insurance, right? You need title insurance. Title insurance does the same thing for you that car insurance does. It ensures that if something goes wrong with the property, which is insured by the title policy, that that title company will pay for that. What does that protect you from? That means that when you bought the property, that you won't find out that somebody else can have an access through your property that goes right back behind your back door. Because if it's possible, it will show in the title insurance. If they don't have a right and they build a road behind your back door, then the title insurance company will have to take care of that if they didn't tell you ahead of time that it was there to happen. So title insurance is very important. Sometimes people get in situations when they don't buy title insurance and they buy it directly through the owner. They don't go through a real estate company what happens is they, they buy the property and they find out a month later that there's a contract lien on the property for $15,000 for the remodeling that was done two years ago. And the contractor never got paid. And so what does he do? He goes to the small claims court and he puts a lien on the property and says, whoever buys this property next, I get my money out of them. You don't want to pay that. You didn't ask for that to be done. And when you bought the house, you bought it as you bought it. You didn't buy it to pay for the bills that were accrued prior to your purchase. Water rights, very important. Everybody needs water. And people do strange things when water is (laughs) involved. I know from experience. (laughs) I won't go into that whole story, but... Water rights are very important. And don't assume that you can use the water even though there may be a 100 gallons flowing down past your property or through your property. If the rancher down below has the water rights on that water, you can't use a drop of it without a permit, at least in the state of Montana. Sanitation approval. What is sanitation approval? (laughs) Well, that means that you have an approved septic system. That means that you're not going to get in trouble by the neighbor to find out that somebody just put an old car body down in the ground and has a pipe running into it for their septic system. These kind of things happen. I don't know if they happen around here, but they happen in Montana. Without sanitation approval, you may have your drinking water affected. Okay? That means that that water, that, that septic is not being properly utilized can filter into your well or into your spring. And what about access? There's nothing worse than finding out that you have a landlocked piece of property. Beautiful. It might be the most beautiful piece of property, but if it doesn't have a deeded access, a right-of-way into the property, what good does it do you? We need to know when we go in that we have access, documented access to the property that's in the title insurance. 
and make sure that there's no timber claws on it. <laughs> See, these are things that you might not just think about automatically. You buy a nice piece of property, it's got 10 acres of beautiful timber and you're going to save it for a rainy day. <laughs> you're going to use the forest service as long as it's open and you'll have your 10 acres and you buy the property and you find out six months later that a logging crew rolls in and the previous owner sold the timber rights five years ago and the logging crew was waiting for it to mature and today's the day. And they come in and they wipe out your timber, all 10 acres of it. It's gone. Can you stop them? No. He paid for it five years ago. What are you going to do? It's not a very pleasant scene, is it? These are the kinds of things, and I couldn't give you an exhaustive list, but what I'm trying to do is give you some things to look for when you're making decisions about property. Don't just read the surface or the, the, what's, what meets your eye. You must look a little deeper and ask the questions. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. That's where our defense is. We aren't going to be able to cover every single base, but we're trying to cooperate with the Lord, and He is the one. He is the one that prepares us to go through these difficulties. And while we do our part to work and cooperate with Him, ultimately our rest is not that we've covered every base. Our rest is that we're in the Lord and we're following His will. Well, let's look at occupations for a few moments. Just, I'm going to give you just kind of a breakdown of ideas of, of occupations that we've come across over the last few years. We've gotten to know lots of people who have moved to country settings and you know, had, heard their stories and what they've done with new kinds of employment. I made a prayer to the Lord... Before we moved to Montana, I said, Lord, if possible, if it's your will, I don't want to be tied to another eight to five job for the rest of my life. Lord, is that asking too much? I want to move closer to your original plan for, for man and his family. And so I, I made a commitment to the Lord that I would try to redeem my time, improve my talents, and asked the Lord if he would give me an opportunity. Well, he gave me that opportunity in the real estate business that I got involved in with Coldwell Banker. It worked out well for the owner that, of the company that I could start a little satellite business out of my home. I come to the office maybe once every week or once every two weeks. In the winter, once every three to four weeks. And I would work out of my home. So God gave me the opportunity to start working out of my home doing my real estate business. And as I redeemed more of my time and reinvested my time back into the Lord and into my family, my business grew and I was able to redeem much of the time. So don't be afraid to ask God to give you something that will give you more time, an employment that will give you more time to be with your wife and children to do the work that lies nearest there. So I got involved in real estate. I know people that uh, started a windshield repair business. These are just some ideas, and they worked to support a family in their location. He started a windshield repair business and was very successful with that. Um, the building trades. Some people are really good at building and uh, don't necessarily want to get into the full contractor's type of situation with all the insurances and, and workman's comp, but they start offering their services in remodeling, okay? A fix-it type person, and, and they became successful. Auto mechanic, body work, producing food in gardens and greenhouses. I know someone, I know a couple of people that, that started a, a business of growing tomatoes, and this distributor told them, I will buy every tomato you can produce for me. And they produced 
thousands of pounds of tomatoes that were high-quality organic tomatoes. What a business! Okay, just ideas that you can consider that can free you and put you in a setting that you control rather than having to be an 8 to 5. Elderly home care. We know people that have brought elderly people into their home. Now think about this. You've all been in a nursing home. Maybe you haven't, but we used to go sing in nursing homes when I was a boy growing up. We have one in Eureka where we go in on Sabbath quite often and sing. Even in the best circumstances, it's not ideal, is it? I mean, it really isn't ideal. Think about what a blessing it could be to have two or three, some people have even done it with one or two, elderly people who are still ambulatory can get around on their own to bring them in, have a little you know, addition put on your house, Bring them in and be able to provide them a cheerful environment, a happy environment. And they, in turn, are providing you an income and you can be working at home. So, uh, elderly home care. In Montana, you can do that if you don't go over a certain number of people. You'd have to check and see you know, what your state regulations would be. We know people that have been involved in substitute teaching. They were out of debt or they, they didn't have much of a, a strong income need in their particular situation. They were able to do substitute teaching on a fairly regular basis. We know people that have been involved in caretaking uh, for people who have properties that they only live in part of the year. So you're not limited by what your present skills are. Don't think, well, I can't move unless I move into exactly a parallel situation. We know a man that does computer consulting for the U.S. Forest Service. And he has a lot of autonomy in how he does his work. And makes a good living and provides a good service, but he's doing something he enjoys. We know a graphic design artist who works out of his home doing graphic design. And all he needs is good mail service and FedEx. And he can connect to the internet and he can send his designs off, and he's very successful, and he does it out of his home in Montana. doesn't have to be the 8 to 5 uh, that he used to have in the building that he owned and operated. We know physicians who have recognized the need to cut back and to specialize and to utilize their best talents and focus in a certain area and redeem their time and meet a certain area of people's needs. And they're having more time at home. We know a physical therapist who came into our valley and doesn't live too far from us. And um, when he talked to the people in the area, a little prompt care facility, like a little emergency care facility, got acquainted with some of the um, extended home care services, Uh, within a a short time, people were coming to him saying, you know, can you come and work for us on a part-time basis? And he's built a wonderful schedule. It's on his terms because he's sought after for his skills. So these are just some ideas. Just sometimes we need to get our minds thinking that we don't have to do the job that we've always done in order to go to the place that God may ask us to go. You see, I think that one of the things that's so important when we're considering occupation is it getting us an opportunity that takes us closer to God? Is it giving us more time that we can invest in our family? That's a step forward. And even if it's a parallel move, the the move can become an overnight blessing to our family because it puts them in a better environment. So even if father has to continue to do his normal employment, he's provided his family a safer and better environment to live in. I believe the most important occupation for any man here is to be the priest of his home. And that's not an easy job, is it? (laughs) But it's the most rewarding job I've ever had in my life. Being the priest of the home. Being a father who is responsive to his children's need. Being a husband who is responding to the needs of his wife within the home circle. 
It doesn't mean that we do away with six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Because we still need to labor. But we can focus more of our energies. We can redeem our time to be the men that God is calling us to be in our homes. Now, let's talk about the home. You know, it's, it's not so important that we get our dream home. If our dream home happens to be more like the fairy tale dreams of you know, wanting everything, it's more important that we get a home that makes the dream of real Christianity and receiving the crown of life come true. That's the kind of home we want. Where dreams are happening for heaven and our minds are being turned towards our Heavenly Father. A small, simple home can make those dreams come true. A big home sometimes can overpower us and, and break down the very dream that God would want to plant in our minds. I just want to touch briefly on um, debt. Mortgage debt is different than frivolous debt. Okay, Let me explain what I mean by that. Proverbs 22, 7 says, the borrower, is, the borrower is servant to the who? The lender. That's really a true statement. The borrower becomes a servant to the person that they owe money to. So we want to try to avoid that situation as much as possible. And frivolous debt is what I would call going out and getting um, a new furniture set for the home and for the bedroom when the one we have is fine, but we go in debt for the other one, okay? It's frivolous debt is going out and buying a vehicle just because a new vehicle has come out and the other one that we have is fine and it's already paid for. That's frivolous debt. Now, if we need a car, there's nothing wrong with getting a car. But frivolous debt is often meeting impulse. On the other hand, a home mortgage in today's society, it's very difficult for most of us to walk in and pay cash for a house, isn't it? Okay? So a mortgage is still a debt. Don't ever let anybody convince you that it's not a debt and that you are not still servant to the lender. But it's not frivolous debt. And we know by inspiration that there is a difference between the two types of debt. But we would want to encourage everyone to minimize that debt and to pay that debt as quickly as possible. We have some friends who are presently involved in paying off their mortgage and they are doubling, at times more than doubling, their payments on principal because you'll see that come down very quickly, cutting their, their payment schedule in more than in half as a result of doing it. In the book, Councils on Stewardship, page 257, it says, deny yourself a thousand things. How many things? <laughs> a thousand things rather than to run into debt. Avoid it as you would the smallpox. Well, that always hits me when I read that. So that's talking about going in and saying, oh, that, that couch really looks good. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. Or that new color is just, I've got to have it, and I've got to go in debt for it. If you knew that when you walked out the door of the furniture store for that purchase you didn't need, but you wanted, that put you in debt, if you knew when you walked through the door you were going to have smallpox, do you think you'd consider it a second time? Maybe I don't need this couch after all. <laughs> But let's look at it from a practical standpoint. If we want to be successful with God, one of the things he's asking us to do is free ourselves from the bondage of debt so he can do with us as he wants to do with us. Take us where he wants to take us and not be bound as a servant to the lender. Let's look at home styles for just a few minutes. When we did our, our home, we based the home on our financial ability, not on our wants and wishes. You understand the difference? We did not want to go into debt. We wanted to avoid it, if at all possible. And so we looked at the money that we had, and then we went around and we asked questions to people about different kinds of options for homes, and we were able to find an option that worked for us, that kept us within our budget, and then... We built our house. We, we didn't have any architectural drawings or anything like that. 
but we just did a, we, we took a piece of graph paper and we took a ruler and we drew it out. Didn't get all of our walls exactly the right thickness, so we shrunk a little bit on the inside. But we just drew out a simple plan and we didn't add in a lot of the things that would be nice to have. We didn't add in an extra sewing room or we didn't add in, you know, the extra school room just for a homeschool room. We kept it very, very basic. But we were able to stay out of debt. And we were able to get our logs. We have a log home. It's a three-sided log home, which means it's cut on three sides, and then the front has the round part on it, kind of like stacking Lincoln logs. Okay? And it was the cheapest thing that we could find. We got all of our logs for $1,800, and the rest of our building materials, what we, what we put into our home, I actually have our, our little... Um, Building expense sheet. We got our our uh, we did a permanent wood basement in our house instead of a concrete basement because at the time it was actually cheaper for us to go with a permanent wood foundation, and we got all of our main building supplies for our basement for for our our house for under four thousand or right around four thousand dollars. Our basement. Our house, our roof, our, all of our walls inside, all the woods things for under $4,000. Our logs were, what do we get here for our logs? $1,813. Now, I have to tell you, if you don't already know it, you can't get them for that nowadays. But fortunately, the man that got us our logs was the brother of the lady who sold us the property. And so that was a blessing. God just, there was... Some providence involved there, and, and he did it at his cost. Didn't jack up the price and everything, so it was a blessing. And so we were able to stay within our budget. So work your plan in accordance with your finance, financial situation, not in accordance with your whims and all of your desires. So, would I build a log home again? Well, probably not. <laughs> There's a lot of, I mean, log homes in Montana go together, don't they? There's just sort of a romance about that. But the romance is over for me because there's a lot of maintenance involved. But I'm very thankful because at the time it was the best option we had. And I'm not unhappy with my home, but I'm not so in love with it that I won't tell you that if I had it to do over again, I'd build a stick home, okay? A frame home. And I'd put vinyl siding on it. Does that tell you anything about maintenance? <laughs> oh, yes. Many hours of maintenance on this log home, especially on the side that faces the south in the sun. But anyway, you have to decide whether you're going to build a frame house, if you're going to build a log house. Maybe you want to buy a modular. If you, we live near the Canadian border. We live 15 miles from the border, and you can buy a nice, high-quality modular home up there all done brought and delivered and set on your foundation for less than you can build it with, you know, a good builder. So, you know, if you, if you live in a situation where you can, you have the option for a module, that's a, a good option sometimes for people. Maybe a mobile home. They're even less expensive, although they depreciate, okay? Modular homes don't depreciate like mobile homes do because mobile homes get a title like a car title, and so they depreciate rather than go up in value. We know of people that have built a garage and put a travel trailer in it. It works. Insulate the garage. You have the garage for when the finances come around so that these people didn't want to go in debt, so they built a garage, insulated it, put some water in it, and then they parked a trailer in it. When they had the money to build their house, they sold the trailer, moved into their house. So there are, there are options. You can buy a fixer-upper. We've seen people down the road from us. They bought a home for, I think it was $80,000, $80,000. Within a few months, they had fixed it up, and they're now, they have it back on the market this spring for $169,000. That isn't where they're planning to live, but they're doing it so they could get some extra money. They had enough to pay the 80000 and now they're going to move up from the 169 and I don't know what they're going to do next, but there's, you know, there's different options. 
Like I said, we went with a permanent wood foundation because at the time and when we were building, it was the best option for us because we had to build starting in November in Montana and build through the spring. The builders told us, you can't do that. Now, we didn't have builders build our house, but the builders came out and gave us ideas and helped us with various things. And they said, you can't, this is Montana. <laughs> you can't start building in November in Montana. Well, you know, it's a very interesting thing that happened. That year it was very interesting. It had the lowest snowfall on record since 1924. In February, we were able to pour concrete unheard of and the concrete man at the end of our building project I saw him one day and he said because he's the one that said you can't do this in Montana and I said I understand what you're saying but it's the only option we have I have to do it now it's the only time I can do it this is when we're here and he came to me later and he said well I tell you the man upstairs was looking out for you and that's what we have to realize, friends. God is bigger than all these things that man says are against us. But the key here, and we have to keep coming back to this, and I hope that that's what we continue to encourage one another with, the key is that we need connection to the divine power of God. Our self-sufficiency is not enough. Consider your power system. We have a hydroelectric system. It's been a tremendous blessing. And you know it has saved us thousands of dollars over the years. So if you have that opportunity, it's wonderful. Although there are not as many, at least in our area, there's not as many opportunities to have a gravity flow spring that you can produce power because when people find them, they get them, okay? And they hold on to them. We also have solar power an accessory power to go along with our hydropower, some solar panels. Montana isn't very good for solar. A place like Arizona is really good. New Mexico is really good for solar power. But consider, you know, some places are good. Wind power is good. And when you consider your well, if you have to have a well and you don't have an open spring to develop, then seriously consider a hand pump. We didn't put a hand pump on my dad's well because he's just, at, at this point, he's not you know, able to do all that stuff. So we got the backup generator. But a hand pump is nice to have when all else fails, even when the propane runs out and all that, you can still get out there and pump it by hand. So consider these things. And one thing I want to make very, very important to all of us, no matter what we do, Whatever we do, let it be done with the neatness and order of heaven. Oh, I tell you, when we built our house, it's one of the things we told the, the man that helped us build it, the man that sold us the property. Every evening, the family came down. They were just little children then when we were building. Every evening, we spent time cleaning the entire building site, inside and out, stacking all the boards, taking the pieces that were cut, and burning them in the wood stove for heat. But we kept the place neat and orderly. And you know, it's amazing how many people were blessed by that that we didn't realize at the time. And as we went around and we started seeing other people's building sites, it was not unusual to just see them being chaos. Just chaotic. So whatever you do, even let your building process bring glory to the God of heaven. Because it'll bring people to you. You don't do it for that reason. You do it because we serve a God of order. But it will bring people who will say, you know, I notice that your building site's clean and why do you do that? I notice that you're never out here on Friday night or Saturday. What, you know, what's going on? <laughs> Sometimes we can use the simplest things to interest someone in the God that we serve. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Can't do it without the Lord, though. Do you understand that? Can't do it without the Lord. When I used to live in Hinsdale in my suburban rat race, 
Sometimes people come over to visit. I didn't want them to go in my garage. You know why? Because I was so busy, I didn't have time, or I thought, okay? You know what I found out? It's another lie of the devil. I was so busy that when I used something, I just bring it in and I wouldn't just throw it in, but I'd lay it here and lay it there and I'd think, oh, I'll take care of that tomorrow. You know, things pile up that way. I found out that it only takes a few seconds to put something back where it goes. If you visited my house now, you'd find that my, my shop or my, lo- my little shed and where I keep the tools and things, our children put things back where they belong. Because I learned that we can do all things with decency and in order if we're serving God. He will give the prompting. When the tool can be hung up, taking only a few seconds longer, when the coat can be put back where it goes, when the shoes can be put under the bench, why leave them out? Makes sense, doesn't it? God is a God of order. And everything in His universe runs in order. People are the ones that he has trouble with. (laughs) So let all things be done decently and in order. I just want to encourage each one of you as we close. Wherever you find yourself today, God has a plan for your life. Maybe it includes country living. I know that that's an ideal that God has for us and it's something that God will Provide for us if we seek Him with our whole heart. But wherever you find yourself today, be willing to let God have access to you now. Begin where you are, wherever you are. When I talk to people who are in L.A., I give them the the same encouragement that I would give you today that they can begin right where they are. Because God loves us each one of us with an everlasting love and he's drawing us and he needs us to give ourselves to him and if we will he will begin to work in us anew and work out his will for us shall we kneel together as we pray oh gracious father in heaven how good you have been to us lord and i pray that as we leave this place today that we will leave recognizing our need in a deeper way that we will recognize that you have been continually reaching out to us and we can thank you Lord where we've been cooperating with you but I know that you're calling to each one of us to have all of us so that you can give us all that you want to give us to make make us successful in this life and to prepare us for life eternal. Please bless each one here that has their own individual needs and perplexities and decisions to make. Lord, help us to be willing to let go of my way and allow you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.